Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us on the line today for our series on women in the judiciary is Judge Marissa Nodia Udendal from the Limpopo Division of the High Court in Polokwane. Part of the role of the judiciary is to interpret the law of South Africa. The judicial system consists of several courts, like the Constitutional Court, Supreme Court of Appeal, Magistrates' Courts, and the High Courts. An important aspect of South Africa's constitution is to guarantee the independence and impartiality of the courts. In opening today's program, I'm going to quote Justice Mandisa Meyer, who is the president of the Supreme Court of Appeal and was recently appointed as Deputy Chief Justice. She said, I'm not here simply because I am a woman. I'm a judge and a worthy judge. I think I have proven myself over 22 years. It's very important that I am a woman, but I'm not good because I am a woman. I'm just a good woman judge. With that said, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank you, Doctor, for inviting me. Judge Nadia Ordenel, to begin the show, I'm going to start with a, a little recap of your academic credentials. You hold an LLB degree and AIPSA diploma in insolvency law, an admitted attorney, and then later a conveyancer, and now serving as a high court judge. Did you always envisage a legal career and eventually becoming part of the judiciary? Doctor, I was very fortunate. Since a very young childhood age, I wanted to become a legal practitioner. It became so out of hand that even at school in grade two, grade three, grade four, I refused to give a class speech if I didn't have a robe on. Um, needless to say, I was the laughing stock of the school, but I felt empowered with, with a robe on when I gave my class speeches. In 1992, I was about in grade two, grade three. I sat on the porch with my friends. At that stage, girls were not allowed on the rugby field. And I watched some boys, they were in grade seven, bullying a smaller built grade seven boy. They threw his lunchbox over and teased him and he was crying. I stood up, walked onto the rugby field, gave the older boys a scolding and forced them to apologize to the boy. And I think that has been part of my character and my personality since birth. There's no other profession that I can imagine having gone into and pursued. It's fantastic that you already had this trajectory and path to move forwards on. Reflecting on your career, can you share with us a few memorable cases that you've presided over? There were a few remarkable cases, but a remarkable case is not necessarily a memorable case. Sometimes a remarkable case deals with development of law, interpretation of law, um, setting precedent. But if there's one memorable case for me personally, I would say it is the case of Spitzkop School for Children with Special Needs. This is the MEC for Education, Limpopo Province. This specific case dealt with children with special needs where it deals with state funding. The 
Department for Education did not want to fund this specific school because according to the evaluation system to qualify for funding, they had quite strict requirements in respect of um, the amount of learners, the amount of teachers allocated and so forth. But when it comes to a school for special needs, you might have less teachers, but more physiotherapists, speech therapists, occupational therapists, caretakers who help these children get through their day. And there was just no regard for those needs. And based on that, the department disqualified the school from funding. The school was about to close down. It was the only school in Limpopo, or rather in the Waterberg district area, that catered for these children with these special needs. In this specific judgment, I lay out certain uh, a framework of investigations to be done, um, considerations to be taken, and steps to be taken by the department in order to have the school qualify for funding. So that was one of the more memorable cases. And I think it's the case that made the biggest difference in the end of all the cases I've ever done. Because these are children that in fact should receive more funding than other schools because of their special needs. Staying with this tone of being able to provide access to justice for different groups, Do you think that the South African legal system has developed according to your expectations? The South African legal system has developed a lot over the past 20 years, but the development of a legal system can never reach its full capacity. You can never put a full stop after it. Uh, Remember, the legal system is constantly evolving, constantly growing as technology and the needs of society changes. As long as something is developing and growing, it's not dying. If something doesn't grow anymore, it's dying. So yes, the legal system has developed a lot, but there is still a lot that can be done. I fear the day that people say, yes, now we've we've accomplished, we are done. It is organic. And like you say, the world is evolving constantly and the different institutions have to evolve accordingly. And let's face it, there are still certain things that are not right, that we're still waiting to change. When I do research for these interviews, it it gives me a great opportunity to learn about my guests, some of the important work that they have participated in, and through that work, contributed to society. When I think about your profile, some of the examples include being appointed chairperson of the tax board by the Minister of Finance. You also assist pupils with training and that give back dynamic is so important for younger generations to help uplift them. And you give classes at the Limpopo Society of Advocates. Please, can you tell us about your involvement in these areas and some of the achievements? Many of the things I do, I don't do it to get a star on my forehead. I do it for the love of the profession and for the love of humanity. I do it to give back. It was my seniors when I was still young did it for me. So it's my turn to do it for younger people. I do give classes and uh, also mentor pupils. Um, 
when I was an attorney, uh, about 27 years old, the firm where I was practicing at did a lot for the people in Limpopo. And the former president, Khalima Moklante, honored the firm of which the senior director and I were the recipients personally from President Khalima Moklante for service to the people of Limpopo. So if there's one achievement that now has something to show for it or a trophy, I would say that. But otherwise, I attempt to lead by example and I try to uplift and help wherever I can. My door is always open. I've often had pupils on a Saturday night, half past 10, sending me a WhatsApp, asking me a question. They don't know how to deal with this paper that they were, or this problem they have to solve. And then I go out of my way to help them. But I feel it's not necessary to mention each and every instance because it's between me and them. And I get my satisfaction and my reward seeing them succeeding in life. Often that is such a sentiment that comes across from people who who teach, who give back to the fraternity. And it is this joy of almost, let's say, it's a, it's a scalability effect where you've touched on someone's life, had an impact, and seeing them go on to, to succeed. Yes, about um, 10 years ago, I helped a minor child this was not within the profession or uplifting professional persons, but I helped a minor child at that stage. He was about eight years old to improve his living circumstances and so that he'd be placed with his father. And we do a lot of cases, but about two years ago, he contacted me. He was at university and he just wanted to thank me for what I did for him when he was a child. And I completely forgot about the matter. And then 10, 12 years later, now I get this phone call out of the blue. And that is where your achievement, your satisfaction lies, is to see that you have made a difference. Although it's only over many years and sometimes you don't even hear about it. And the same applies to people within the profession. Um, sometimes I help financially because they just simply can't afford a book or a rope or Sometimes I assist um, young legal practitioners to obtain articles because it's, I now phone a few attorneys and arrange interviews with them. But in the end, you can assist them to get there, but you can't assist them to make it. It's up to them. And if they work hard and uh, grab the opportunity and make a success, then I'm joyful. <laughs> Yes, you can only open the doors so far. You, you can't push people to walk through them. Today, we're talking to High Court Judge Marissa Nodia Ordendal from the Limpopo Division of the High Court in Polokwane. We would love to receive your comments on Womanity Talk. It really shocks me that sometimes, in a period not too long ago, women couldn't have their own bank account. They couldn't own property. They couldn't seek corporate directorships without the permission of a husband. In your opinion, what would you say are some of the most important recent laws or reforms that have passed that have really been in women's best interests? Recently, there was a case dealing with maintenance, that maintenance claims can only prescribe of the third years as it is a, a judgment debt. It's not a normal debt. In Arcus versus Arcus, uh, it's an SCA 
um, judgment delivered on the 21st of January 2022. And I think that specific judgment opened a lot of doors for women who struggle to get maintenance from their ex-spouses or life partners, especially for their children. Um, it is frustrating for any women to take off from work, to go to the maintenance court, stand in queues, go back over and over again, maybe then in the end for 800 or 1,000 rand or maybe 2,000 rand. And in this specific judgment, the court after a long period of time said the maintenance claims did not prescribe and she was awarded approximately 3 million rand in arrear maintenance. And I think that is a very pivotal judgment, especially for single mothers struggling on a daily basis to keep their children well cared for, to keep bread on the table and to manage a professional life, that there is relief. Um, there is relief and you can approach a court. And then the second um, judgment that was also recently handed down, I specifically focused on judgments of 2022, was um, a judgment by the Constitutional Court, Women's Legal Centre Trust versus President of the Republic of South Africa and others. It was handed down on the 28th of January 2022 by the Constitutional Court, and it dealt with the proprietary rights in Muslim marriages. And there, many sections of the Divorce Act was declared unconstitutional and made provision for Muslim marriages to fall within the same rights and ambit in respect of maintenance, um, division of the state, maintenance for minor children, and so forth for Muslim women in Muslim marriages. And I think for 2022, those two judgments are of immense importance and added a lot of value to women and children's lives in general. When you have judgments like this that have such a big impact, do they become uh, cases that set precedents? If you could just give us a bit of a, a sense on the impact of these types of cases for future events. Yes, they have a huge impact and they are definitely president that uh, has been set. Um, if I take, for instance, the Women's Legal Center Trust versus President of the Republic of South Africa and other case uh, where it dealt with Muslim marriages, prior to 28 January 2022 this year, Muslim women couldn't claim maintenance. They couldn't claim maintenance for their children. They couldn't share in the division of their state. I mean, for the year 2022, that is a huge um, change in rights of Muslim women specifically. And hopefully soon, in um, the near future, the same will apply to Hindu marriages. That is something that was just overlooked. So yes, a huge president was set and definitely paved the way for, especially in this instance, Muslim women and the hopefully Hindu women as well. And in respect of the August versus August matter, very often women just leave the issue of maintenance because you don't want to keep on struggling and begging and nagging and going to court. You rather focus your attention and time and energy on your children and your career to provide for your children as best as possible. And the August versus August matter now gives relief for women for many, many years to come. It, it will definitely impact each and every woman who has a, a need for maintenance and care.
This really goes back to what you were saying earlier on the issue that law, environment is changing all the time. And as you said, these two cases, 2022, yet when you think about them, you, we, these are issues that women have had to contend with for years, generations, but now there's resolution to them. Yes, it is. And that is why the law can never stop growing and evolving. Because who knows what's going to happen in 2023 or 2024 and the years to come. Staying with the theme of women, in August, South Africa annually celebrates Women's Month. And it's a period where we pay tribute to the more than 20,000 women who marched to the union buildings on the 9th of August in 1956 in protest against the extension of past laws to women. This year's theme takes on a more of a, let's say, an economic tone. And the the theme is generation equality, realizing women's rights for an equal future. In the short term, what type of mechanisms do you think could be used to reduce the inequalities that women still experience? Immediately today, each and every woman and each and every mother is a role model to their children. And immediately today, each and every mother can go home and teach their daughters and change their mindset to become independent, strong women, ambitious young women. And as they grow up, that will be their mindset. Then in respect of a little bit of a medium-term to long-term mechanism that can be instituted is... During my tenure as acting magistrate, I sat in the maintenance court and I have experienced that the maintenance court is definitely one of the most important courts. The maintenance court is not just there for women, but for children. Once a child is better cared for, better maintained, he has a better lifestyle, he has better opportunities and he grows to become a better and stronger child. Now, women are forced to go to maintenance courts over and over. It's postponed. They get maybe a 10% increase per year. Let's say it ranges between 100 rand. It sounds shocking. 100 rand per month per child maintenance. And that is if they get maintenance. And then, of course, it can go up according to income of the respective parents. Now, 100 rand maintenance per month can't even buy a day's food for a child considering breakfast, lunch and dinner. Then there's no clothes, there's no schooling, there's no medicine, nothing else paid. What I would like, if ever I'm given the opportunity, is to change how the maintenance court system and the act works. My suggestion is that maybe one should consider that the maintenance court should act according to scales, as they do with such matters and uh, determining the tax payable, as well as when it comes to conveyancing matters, the amount of transfer costs you pay is directly linked to the purchase price of the house. Now, for instance, if you say it's determined at a percentage or at a set value, when you fall within a certain income bracket, the mother and the father, this is the set amount of maintenance that should be paid for the children before any other deductions. Because often you will find 
that there's always money for something else, but seldomly for the children. But if the children, and it's a set value thing, mothers will only be forced to go to the maintenance court if that compulsory amount is not paid or there are exceptional circumstances to deviate from that. Not only will it assist mothers and children, but it also will help the maintenance court to be more sufficient and effective. I can't see how it can be in the interest of a mother or children to have to take off from work to go to a maintenance court three, four, five, six times every year, every second year. It's an ongoing system. Whilst if the system is changed and these set values, she only has to go in exceptional circumstances. And that is a mechanism that I think can make a huge difference. That would be revolutionary. And if we think about the idea that we've got such a high incidence of single mothers, maintenance is an important, I would say, not just contribution, but it's a responsibility to the well-being of children. And like you said, if children are well taken care of, it puts them instead for better opportunities and uh, better prospects in their life. And it also improves the mother's life because now she doesn't have to stress that much or take off from work. And, you know, there's a lot of strain going on single mothers or divorced mothers. Judge Rodeo, Ordendal, delving into more of a personal dynamic, when you had your, your first son, you were a single mother. I'd like to ask you to share with us some of your views on how you manage to juggle career and motherhood. <laughs> it's never an easy task, but nothing in life, nothing worthwhile in life comes easy. Um, when I had my first son, he was about six weeks old and I had to travel uh, about 300 kilometers every day to and back from work. So he traveled with me. And uh, I would put him underneath my bench. Um, he was sleeping most of the time. And when he started to become fidgety, I would adjourn, go and feed my son and come back to court and finish my roles. And tonight we would go back home again. It was very difficult, but I believe where there's a will, there's a way. So I worked extremely hard got up very early in the morning, had to make sacrifices. My son had to make sacrifices as a baby with me, traveling so far every day. But we managed by the grace of God and his um, power, we managed to get through it. If I now look back, I can't believe how I managed it, but I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and then when my son became older, I moved back to Limpopo and I had a support system to help me. But still then, I drove every day from Lutrichar to Polokwane, which is about 100, 110 kilometers and back, so that I could be satisfied that he was well taken care of by my parents during the day while I worked to generate an income and build a career. Um, because if I have a successful career, it also um, has a ripple effect on him. Then he will have a better life as well. It was definitely hard, but it was doable. <laughs> I believe that you should never steer yourself blind against your problems, rather find solutions. Um, because whether you say you won't make it or you say you will make it, you are always right. 
That is such a well-worded statement that could not be truer, that as you go through those mindsets that you put in place, that they become self-fulfilling prophecies. But um, you certainly had a challenge there in traveling 300 Ks every day and nursing your baby, having him under the bench. And it is definitely, I would say, uh, a unique element that, that mothers have to handle. Fathers don't. Yes, um, women have to wear many hats. They have to be women, wives, mothers, caregivers, doctors, cleaners, cooks, and professional. And the society expects women to work as if they don't have families. And families expect women to take care of their families as if they've got no profession. So to find a balance in between is quite difficult. But it is doable with good time management and um, hard work, it's possible. Um, for instance, in my, I can only speak of my personal experience. I don't know what other women do, but I got up around two, half past two in the mornings to do my work. By the time my children wake up around six o'clock, I can help them get dressed, get them ready for school, pack their lunch boxes, And then when they are dropped off at school, I start working. Between one and two, I quickly rush home, see that they are well taken care of, they're fed, they're fine, and then I go back to work. But from about four o'clock, half past four, depending on the workload, I spend time with my kids. I take them to their extramural activities and help them with their homework, make sure they are ready, and they have mommy's attention and love. Then when they go to bed, I spend some time with my husband, and then when he go to bed, then I get up at two again and I start working. So with time management, it's possible to be a mother, be a cook, be a wife, be a professional person, and still reach your dreams and your goals as well. Women should never put aside their dreams and their goals. They are women in their own right. And we are unfortunately raised with the idea that a woman is a caregiver. A woman must make sacrifices for a family. Yes, women on a daily basis will make sacrifices and will continue to sacrifice, but never give up your dreams and your identity or still keep on being a person in your own right and achieving your own goals and your own dreams. Otherwise, you'll come at the end of your lifetime and you will feel unfulfilled. You have really demonstrated the multidimensionality of women and the various hats and, and roles that they play to keep not just their own worlds going, but society in general. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we're talking to Judge Marissa Nodia Ordendal from the Limpopo Division of the High Court in Polokwane. One of the things that I wanted to ask you is our life journeys are, are seldom these straight lines that go from A to B to C to D. More often than not, there are a lot of deviations in play. Sometimes if we had been perhaps better equipped with more knowledge, we would have made different decisions. So if I can ask you to help avoid young women from making similar mistakes, if you had a second chance, what are some of the things that you would do differently? I think I would immediately stop devaluing and doubting myself 
women are their own worst enemies. They constantly value other women and then measure themselves accordingly. I think I would immediately stop to question everything I do. Is it good enough? Will I succeed? What if, what if, what if? I think one must be fearless, set a goal and strive therefore, and do not let anything derail you. Women are raised, and I believe this is across all cultures, to be caregivers, to become housewives, or to rather go or um, strive for a lesser, strenuous profession. The other day I had a young student approaching me. She wants to become a legal practitioner with a whole heart. She's in, she's in grade 12, the old matric. And she said, but she went to speak to a few attorneys and everybody advised her and immediately told her, this is not a profession for a woman. You'll never have time for your family. You'll never have time for your children. Reconsider. It's very stressful. And I was shocked to hear it. It was now a little bit more than a month ago. I was shocked to hear it. And my advice to her was, if that is your dream and that is your passion, go for it. Do not put yourself on a back foot or on a lesser pedestal just because you are a woman. You are just as capable, just as brilliant, and just as empowered as anybody else. And if you really want to make a success, you will. So I think that is something that I would change. In my 20s, I always stood back, always thought women are expected to be a certain type of person to be in the profession, which is absolute, absolute nonsense. You can still be a mother. You can still be a wife. You can still retain your femininity within the profession without having to sacrifice anything of that and be successful in the profession. Thank you very much for sharing those points as reality check. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your culture, your, your heritage, but don't deny your own ambitions and go ahead and be true to yourself and really endeavor to succeed. On that notion of success, one question that I always ask my guests is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. Please, can you share with us what have been some of the factors to your success? I would say my my family, my support structure, um, extremely, extremely hard work, uh, preparation, preparation, preparation. You are only as good as your last case. And you must always prepare for your next case as if it's your first and your last brief you have ever, will, have ever received and will ever receive. But then set goals for yourself and work towards those goals. Because if you don't set any goals, you are not going to go anywhere. And then the other thing that I would say is I utilize every free moment of my life to its fullest and um, whether it is time I spend with my family or I'm sitting in my chambers behind my desk when I work I work hard and when I play I play hard so be effective and um, do good time management the the key to making it as a woman in the profession I think is time management 
And then after that, preparation, preparation, preparation. And once you are done preparing, you prepare some more. <laughs> so that, I think, is the, the key to success in the profession. Those are wise words, and not just wise words, but so practical, being prepared, uh, continuing to develop yourself for what lies ahead, uh, and effective time management. And I think everybody could do with a, a good dose of time management. Earlier, you shared with us growing up as a young girl, uh, not being allowed onto the rugby fields, seeing a boy being bullied, being defenseless, and you standing up effectively for his rights and scolding off the other boys for, for doing the bullying. Please, can you tell us about some of the other pivotal moments in your life growing up that have helped shape and, and develop you into the person you are today? When I was about in standard eight, it's now grade 10, my father bought a very, very old master. He bought it from a very poor farmer and he did it to help him financially. But the car seats were broken and burned with ashtrays. When you went around a corner, the door fell fall open. When it rained, the rain literally streamed into the car. And I was so embarrassed when he dropped me off with this piece of junk at school. And he would stop right in front of the main gate before the matric boys. And as a standard eight girl, 16 year old, you do not want to be seen like that. And every day we would have a fight. And then my dad told me, if you need a call to define you as a person, you are not much of a person. And he said he will drive with that call until I find out who and what I am. And then, of course, typical me, um, quite thick-skinned and hard-headed, decided I'll buy my own car. I'll show you. So then I started to observe in our area what I can do to uh, generate an income because I'm going to buy my own car. And then I started farming with fern trees. I started with a 1,000. It quickly became 2,000. And then in the end, by the time I went to university, it was 120,000. And I distributed these fern trees all over South Africa and for quite very big and nurseries. And then I had enough money to buy my own car. That, I think, was one of the most valuable lessons my parents ever taught me. Because it is so. If you need luxurious items to find you as a person, you are not much of a person. But they also taught me to stand up and do something for myself, to change my circumstances. And by that, they also taught me to work hard and to strive for something bigger and to work towards your, your goals. And then um, in at university, I was nominated as one of the top five uh, entrepreneurs in South Africa by APSA, and they took me overseas. So growing up, I think that was the most valuable lesson my parents taught me. You should always strive to succeed in life, achieve something bigger and better, but you should never forget who you are and where you come from. 
that is such a fantastic lesson and an insight to another dynamic of your life that you weren't always in the legal uh, practice, you weren't always a judge, but you had this whole other entrepreneurial side to you, which you succeeded at equally well. Can you tell us about some of the female role models or, or influences in your life? First and foremost, my mother. She, as a female, had the biggest impact on my in my life. She came from a very poor background and she couldn't study and achieve her career goals that she wanted to. And she always told me that if you dream, dream big. And if your dreams don't scare you, your dreams aren't big enough. And she motivated us to, as women, to strive and chase our goals and our dreams, to go into the legal profession and arise above the idea of society that women belong in the kitchen and not in the legal profession. For that, I will always be grateful to her. Then I would say, Professor Tuli Maroncela. She's a remarkable woman. She acts with integrity. She stands for what she believes in. She is extremely strong and accomplished. And throughout, she maintained her femininity. She never gave that up. She retained her identity as a woman, as a mother, as a family uh, person. And then lastly, but definitely not the least, Justice Leona Tron of the Constitutional Court. She was appointed as the youngest female judge ever in South Africa at the age of 33, 34 years. She was also a mother. She also struggled between professional, her professional life and her family life. And today she's a Constitutional Court judge. So those three women in my life um, are definitely my role models and had the biggest impact in some way in my life. Thank you for sharing those examples and the contributions that they've paid to your life. Lastly, as we close out today's conversation, please can you use this platform to share a few words of wisdom or inspiration in commemoration of Women's Month? My message would be dream and reach for the stars. Everything is possible if you believe. Work hard every day focusing on preparation and managing your time. The journey can be difficult, but nothing worthwhile is easy to obtain. Do not allow yourself to fixate on problems sinking in place. Strive for solutions. Keep your feet on the ground, your hand in God's hand, and your focus always ahead of you. Remember, whether you say you can't, or whether you say you can, you will always be right. Thank you for that fantastic message. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much, Doctor, and thank you for inviting me. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Judge Marissa Nordia Udendal from the Limpopo Division of the High Court in Holokwane.